and welcome back to another edition of the What A Ball Lake podcast with myself, Gary, and my uh, usual co-host, uh, fellow Sunderland fan, Mr Anthony Watson. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm alright. I'm not, I'm not too much of a Sunderland fan at the minute because, um, you know, we've lost our last three games, and including getting knocked out of Mansfield again. So, uh, yeah, I'm alright. Well, I'm fine. We're not on the greatest of uh, runs at the moment, but you know it is what it is. Um, today we're joined by not one but two Spurs fans to to discuss how Tottenham season's gone. You know, just generally how Tottenham's been over the last twelve to eighteen months. Um, obviously the future and stuff of what we're going forward. Uh, we are joined today by Mr. Alan Clark. How are you? Are you alright? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No worries. And also joined by Mr. Jacob Shigakili. Did I get that right? Yeah, you got it right first time. Congratulations. Oh, spot on. Spot on. I've rehearsed that before we did the podcast, though. So. Uh, how are you doing anyway? You all right? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thanks for letting me on. As I say, I'm always here to talk about football and especially my club Spurs. So thank you very much. Ah, no worries. No worries. So exactly that. that's it. But that's exactly what we're going to talk about, Spurs. So... Fellas, uh, first we want to start with yourself there, Alan. Um, yes. Obviously, Nuno has left and Conte has came in. What do you make of the, the start of the season and Nuno eventually getting sacked, Conte coming in? Um, so it's been a topsy-turvy start to the season for Spurs. I was not a fan of Nuno coming in. Um, I think he was our ninth, ninth choice manager. And for the fans, he wasn't even on the radar. We didn't want him. Um, even though we won the first three games, the style of play was not good. We were lucky in them games. And I was always under the impression that things were going to come unstuck because it was similar to a Mourinho style of football, but not that, not as you know clinical up front. Um, and it's happened that way. I just don't think the players were interested in him. So for the, for the players not to be interested, not giving him everything... Um, I didn't think he'd go as quick as he did, but I believe uh, Daniel Levy realised with the fans booing again in that for that Man United game where they booed his decisions and then started chanting for Levy. I think that's why Daniel Levy acted as quick as he did to bring in Conte. Um, and I was just surprised we got a manager, you know, in his in the peak of his power in our club because normally we'll get a manager receiver not at that level or. Um, too little too late like with Mourinho so it's a step in the right direction all we've got to do now is give him the funds which Conte's come with assurances to obviously get what he wants in January and if he doesn't then it's just going to prove Daniel Levy for the person he is a businessman and not have any interest of winning trophies for the club yeah I know definitely understand where you're coming from so you weren't a fan of Nuno in the beginning no, no, not not at all. Every other like when I done other streams, I was although Spurs fans were happy with the first three games and winning three uh, all three one nil, I was cautious because um it was like similar to Mourinho style, but not nowhere near as you know like I said clinical, uh, and I could see it coming apart, and it came apart a lot quicker than I imagined. Yeah. Um, and then you could see by the players they just weren't interested in or invested in. Him as a him as a manager or his tactics because there was just no effort. Yeah, no, nah, fair enough. Um, Jacob, what about yourself? I mean, were you a fan of Nuno? Um, like, what do what did you make of his very short tenure at the club? Yeah, I'll probably mirror what Alan says. Is that you know, in the grand scheme of things, he wasn't in our top three or four in the pecking order. It took so long that it's pretty obvious that um, Daniel Levy 
just brought him in just to pretty much shut everyone up and just keep someone there um, and have someone there as a figurehead while he tried to figure out what he was actually doing. You know, as soon as we brought Nuno in and it was a two-year deal, I thought straight away, that's not the guy you want. You just know that if it works and you get lucky like you did with Poch, then it's great. And if it doesn't, you haven't got to pay him off much. Um, the first three games, like you say, I was 50-50 because as much as I was happy that we were top of the league and we'd won three games on the spin without conceding, it's not like we kept clean sheets because we were solid. You know, I think the part of the Man City game, to be fair, I thought the Man City game, we did quite well. But you all knew that Man City weren't really 100%. We played Wolves, where realistically we should have probably lost 4-1. And we played Watford, who I think deserved the draw. So I think what happened with Nuno was... He, he at Wolves he could co- concentrate on the style of his play because he knew he had loads of time. It wasn't a big club. It felt that when he came to Spurs, he was just trying to do everything to please the fans. You know, when you yeah. saw a lot of things on Twitter and on the internet with people saying, "Oh, Nuno should be more attacking," you'd go into the next game and you'd play Deli Ali with Ndombele in a, in a North London derby away, and you're thinking you're just listening to the fans. And then when it gets to the point they're saying, "Oh, you know what? We shouldn't have done that against Arsenal." let's put Oli Skip in, he'd go and do it. So I just think he got confused and was out of his depth. So I do feel sorry for him. I, I'm not going to lie because, you know, he got turned down by Palace and then got turned down by Everton and then Tottenham come along. Even if you're offered a two-year deal and you know that you've been hung out to dry, you're not going to say no, are you? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I mean, I think, uh, was Fonsenka the, the first choice originally? Um, I can't remember mm-hmm. if it was for Senker or not, and then obviously that, I think that fell through about something about tax. Is that right? Yeah. yeah so uh, Fonseca, I don't think was the first choice. I mean, they tried; they wanted to go after people like um, Nagelsmann, Ten Hag, and stuff like. That. I think Fonseca was about fourth or fifth on the list, mm-hmm. and we got closest to getting him because um, they even tried. I think there was mention of Conte originally before Fonseca as well. Um, uh, I, at the time, I didn't know much about Fonseca, but because uh, I thought we were going to land him, um, he plays like a very attacking formation. He, I think he plays like a three-four-three himself, mm. so he would have been a decent fit for Spurs. Although I didn't at the time know much about him, but for it not working with the players we got under Mourinho to bring in the manager exactly like Mourinho with the same type of tactics, it was just doomed from the start for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. half fair. And from a neutral perspective, what was your thoughts on Nuno? Obviously, we follow Spurs um, because they're on TV, but we're not Spurs fans. But what was your opinion on Nuno's, again, short tenure at Spurs? Do you think he was, like, obviously he wasn't the right man for the role, um, but what did you make of his short time there? Well, I mean, I watched the Man United game a couple of weeks ago, it turned out his last game in the end. You used to seeing Spurs as you know well drilled, well organised, but an attacking unit, and they didn't have a shot on goal. It was it was pathetic to be honest, and you know that that's the like that's the final straw you you feel like for managers like that. I mean, I'm kind of feeling that with Ole at the minute because he's just losing like big game after big game. But then they went to Spurs and and they looked a decent outfit and. For that, that's a must-win game for Tottenham, isn't it? At home to a team who was struggling at the bottom and, and they, they barely mustered a shot. I mean, there was there was players there. Like, I don't know if he was with their guys, but there was players there walking about. Right? And Dumbele, we've mentioned, he was just walking. And it's it, that that there says to me that they're not playing for the manager. And, and it was no shock that he got that he got sacked. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I mean, obviously it was no secret that Nuno had his... Um, I don't want to say fallen out, but he wasn't a big fan of Ndombele. And then all of a sudden started playing Ndombele every week. Um, Harry Kane obviously didn't start the few, first few games because no one knew what was going on with him. Um, Alan, I just want to like mention the, to you about Ndombele. I mean, like, what's your thoughts on Ndombele? Because as far as I can see, the fans don't necessarily like him. He's your most expensive signing. Nuno didn't want to play him. But then played him. I, I don't understand that. So for me, with Ndombele, I he's got a, a ability in abundance. He's got all the ability. He look. To, he's got all the hallmarks of a player that can go mm. far. But his work ethic off the ball. Uh, you know, he's okay on the ball, but his work ethic off the, off the ball and his mentality for me is just not at that level. Um, in the summer, like Sissoko and Aurea were leaving, and he was saying about he wants to leave because his friends were leaving. That's not the type of mentality you need. It you want players who are going to play, dig in, win, like the winning mentality, want to be there. And for me, he's like showing in parts that he hasn't got the mentality like to play uh, like in the Premier League. Or uh, so I think Nuno played him. I'll go back to what Jacob said. Nuno started playing him because fans got on his back that he weren't playing. So I think he put him in to appease the fans. Um, Mourinho got the best out of him after leaving him out for some time um, since he's been in the Tottenham shirt. But I don't see him working under Conte. Um, I could be proven wrong, but Conte wants somebody who will run themselves into the ground for him. And I don't see that in the ballet. He's what you call a luxury player where you you have somebody that can turn the game but he's not doing it he's not being played in the right position for me he needs to be playing number 10 there's a lot of question marks about on the ballet I can't question his ability on the ball and what he can do but everything else in his game there's just question marks that either I think we'll find out under Conte's tenureship whether um, whether he'll you know live up to the expectation or whether he'll be moved on so it's I can't say so stages because he's been there for about almost two seasons but it, for me, with him at this moment in time, it's make or break. Yeah, I mean, from from what I saw at the weekend, uh, there was a formation change and then Dombele was left on the bench. Um, so yeah. I'm totally in agreement with yourself there. I don't think he's going to feature in his plans. And I think the the big sign on which he's looking to make in January is Brozovic, which would kind yeah. of fit the mould of what Ndombele is currently doing. Um, another, I mean, you mentioned Jose there. I mean, a player which... Jose didn't really seem to be a, a, a big fan of was uh, Deli Ali said he was lazy. I mean, Alan and Jacob. I mean, what's what's your opinions on Deli Ali? I'll let Jacob take this one. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two. I've got. I'll let Jacob go first. I'll I'll, I'll add after. Uh, no worries. Don't hold back, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the same thing. Um, Deli Ali and Andrea. It's the problem is. A mentality thing. Now, I think when he came into the scene with Poch, it was like he was a young kid and you don't even know what your mentality is. Your mentality is you just want to play games. So I think Pochettino managed that very well because he had a ruthless streak. You know, he was like 18, 19, 20 and he was just going, he, he didn't care who you were. You could be Yaya Torre, you could be whoever you were. He did not care who you were. And I think that's what got him through games. Then obviously Pochettino left and they've just been a barrage of. Um, new managers that are coming have got different philosophies and I'm not saying that it's all the managers' faults but all the managers we've had since Poch doesn't fit the mould they haven't played with a second striker 
They haven't let Deli Ali go and do what he wants, you know, effectively watching Spurs. Deli Ali got most of his goals running in in behind Harry Kane. So Harry Kane was our central striker getting, you know, 20, 25, 30 goals a season. But Deli Ali was getting 20 going beyond him. You know, every time Ericsson picked up the ball and delivered, nine times out of 10, you would assume that Deli Ali was going to get on the end of that cross before Harry Kane because he was just so hungry to get in the box. And then all of a sudden we had Mourinho who one minute liked him and then didn't. And then um, after that, he had Ryan Mason, who effectively is probably looking at Ryan Mason thinking, I played in the team with you and I was better than you and I thought you was crap. So I don't know how you're going to be my manager. Um, and then after that, we bring in Nuno, who has never been somebody that brings the attacking talent out of anybody. You know, he had Adama Traore playing right wing back at one point when he's arguably the fastest person in football. So um, I just think it's one of those where Deli Ali shouldn't go around blaming other managers because he, there is again there's an attitude problem. I just think he's lost, you know. And Dembele, I just think his attitude issue is he can't be bothered. Whereas Deli Ali doesn't know what he is anymore. One minute he's running in behind um, Harry Kane, and then he's playing in you know in a deep line position next to next to Hoiberg, and he doesn't know what his position is. So I think you know the only way that he can um, get back to what he was doing is prove to Conte that in them two positions behind the striker which he likes to play he can work hard enough and score the goals but you know let's be honest with what he's been doing for the last two years and his lethargic manner towards the game I don't see how he takes anyone because Son's arguably our best talented player and Lucas Moore is our most hard working player so I don't think them two get moved unless Conte goes into the January market to replace either of those yeah, for me with uh, Deli Ali, I think when he joined us, he had Christian Eriksen there, and he was allowed. For me, he was allowed to play really high up the pitch, like a shadow striker, and that's where he had these because Eriksen could pick him out, and that's where he had he's like like if a decent ball was pinned over top, he was allowed to run in behind. He was allowed that freedom. At the end of Poch's um, reign, he dropped Deli Ali further and further back. And mm-hmm. I don't think Delhi has the ability to control a game from the middle of the park or deep lion like Marino tried and like Nuno tried. I think with Delhi Ali, if you allow him, if Conte was to go to a three-five-two and have Delhi Ali as a shadow track to Kane and brought somebody in who can create, I think you will see the best of Delhi Ali again. Um, if that doesn't happen, then I don't think Delhi Ali gets anywhere near what he was under Poch. And for that reason, if it doesn't happen, he needs to be sold because he, for me, he needs to play in a team to get back to his ability that's going to allow him the freedom to, you know, get high up the pitch and attack. And if it's not going to happen under Conte, it's not going to happen at Spurs. So he, he have to move him on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, myself and Ant kind of touched on Deli Ali last week on our podcast when we were talking about the uh, managerial swap. I mean. And you said about Deli Ali. Um, obviously, we talked about the 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 Spurs documentary, and we're talking about him. And he hasn't been moved on as of yet. I mean, do you see Deli Ali moving on in January on potentially a loan move, or do you see him moving on in the summer? Um, if if I was if I was Spurs, I'd probably I'd probably look at moving him on. To be honest, um, I, I, it, it reminds me so much of the Jesse Lingard situation at Manchester United, where. There's not a, a system for him, if you know what I mean by that. Where I totally agree with with what Alan just said there. Um, sorry, it was Jacob. So that you've got Son, who's your best player, 
and Lucas Moira, who, who was your hardest working player, and, and he pops up with a few goals as well. So, where's Ali going to go? He's not going to get in that three because uh, he's not going to play as a centre striker, is he? And I quite like the the midfield too, what you've got at the minute with um, Jolberg and Skip. I think Skip's done really, really well this season and um, probably been the best player for Spurs uh, for what I've seen so far. So, yeah, I mean, I'd probably be looking to cash in on him and, and maybe, you know, use that money for, you know, a position where you need somebody, to be honest. For me, he doesn't, he doesn't get in Tottenham's best 11, you know, at the, at the moment. Um, and I just wonder if he's impersonally himself has fallen out of love with the game a little bit, which it's quite hard to get that back. Um, you know, it, it's quite difficult. You see the same with Jesse Lingard. You, you you looked at him when he went on loan last year at West Ham and he just thrived, didn't he? And it was a great move for him. It was a great move for, for West Ham. It got them, you know, flying up the table. And then he's gone back to Man United. We haven't seen him since. So yeah. for for me, I think Deli Ali, just for, for the good of himself, needs to, to find somewhere else to play, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, fellas, I mean, where do you see Deli Ali playing? I mean, each of you pick a team potentially. Oh, that's a good question. You know what? That's weird because I was just thinking that because I thought if if Deli Ali was going to go somewhere, where I'd see him thriving is like, no disrespect to him, if he went to Crystal Palace on loan, right? You know, they're playing under Vieira at the minute um, and they're playing some good football. You know, they beat us, they played Man City, they beat Man City. And then I've watched Crystal Palace a couple of times. They've looked all right. You know, they, they should have got a victory against Arsenal, to be fair. So, um, you know, they could do with like you know a Deli Ali in that team, you know, because that's somebody that can get them more goals. Because the only reason why Palace aren't higher up the table is because they're not scoring a lot of goals. So mm-hmm. if Vieira said you're my number ten and I want you to be a shadow striker, and then he's in there with the guys that they've got, I think he would he would suit a Palace. I just don't think he will ever get into you know at the minute we're always we're always talking about a top six, but at the minute the way everybody's playing football, there's like a top nine, you know, the, the traditional top six are Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, and both Manchester United, both Manchester clubs. But then in a minute, you've got a Leicester that arguably have been better than Spurs over the last three or four years. You've got West Ham, who at the minute, as much as I hate to say, I'll probably enjoy them watching football. And then, you know, you've got Arsenal and Everton getting in the argument as well. So effectively, if you're not on job, you might not even finish in the top 10 and you could be classed as a top six side. So... I think those top ten clubs wouldn't have Deli Ali right now in their lineup. So if you go to the bottom, Palace are probably the, the best out of the rest. For me, I think Deli Ali would do well in a Brighton team. And the reason mm. why I'm saying that is because Potter allows his players freedom. So I mean, although they lost four one to Man City, they played really good football and they called Man City Man City all sort of problems. They've done it going away to Liverpool. You know, there's no fear in that. And I think Deli Ali in a team where you're allowed to play, you're allowed to express yourself, allowed to go forward to attack an intent, I think he would thrive in the team that obviously, like when when he first signed for Tottenham, we were trying to punch above our weight and he enjoyed that challenge. And I think he would get that out of Brian because they are just, for me, playing... They are, for me, they're the best of the rest out of everyone. They're higher up the table than us at the moment, but you would say over the season they drop off. But I think they are the best of the rest of everyone in the Premier League out the ones that Jacob said. So I, I think he would do a really good job at Brighton. It's about, it's about, I, even, I, forgot, I totally forgot about Brighton, to be fair. Or Aston Villa as well. There's two. That's another club that's probably better than Palace at the minute. Better suited anyway. Now they've got rid of Dean Smith. It just depends on their appointment. Uh, to be fair, Jacob, you've, you've nicked my side there because I was going to say Villa. Because um, you look at the, the massive hole that, that Jack Grealish has left in, at Villa. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and and what a what a marquee signing that would be for for Villa fans, for Villa themselves. They can afford and they've got money. They can probably afford the wages. Um, you know, they might, they might have to get rid of one or two players, but there's there's a couple of players in that Villa side that I watched um, at the weekend who I would certainly get rid of. Um, so for me, uh, for a team under a new manager, whoever they get. Um, a signing like Deli Ali would be would be great. It's whether he would go out of London, which would, which would, mm. um, which would interest me because obviously you know he was a Bilton Keynes, you know, which isn't a stone's you know, stone's throw away from London, isn't? And he's been at Tottenham. Would would he move out the capital? You know, so I think your your show to Palace is a cracking show, and all and also Brighton. You know, because it's it's not too far away. It's it's only down south, so. You know they're two great sides who he would benefit very well at. But I'm gonna for me, I reckon Villa. I think Villa's a great shout if um, and he'll get he he will be the big fish in that side, wouldn't he? He would be the one yes. that the balls come to all the time. What Greedish did, you know, the ball will come to him all the time to try and create something. So that would be a wonderful move, I think. But I think all three teams there are great shouts. Yeah, I agree. Um, out of all of them, I'm going to say myself personally, Palace. I think I could see him and Conor Gallagher linking up and doing something special. And then you've got Edward up front, um, you know, and that that could turn into a very creative kind of attacking side. Um, so I would definitely be going with Jacob and Palace personally. I mean, and, you know, the London factor comes into play as well. Um, he's not going to probably go somewhere else other than London when he's been there for, for God knows how long. But um, we've mentioned quite a bit there as well, um, the Poch era. So in regards to Poch leaving, do you think the team hasn't recovered from Poch's departure? No, not well. at all. Um so for me, Podge has left and we had, although the team weren't performing under him, we had this team of all this attacking ability. And Poch, to be fair to Poch, he said before the, the last season where he got where he got sacked, we need a rebuild. So he got us close, we never won a title, but you, you need a rebuild, you need to invest in the club. And he wasn't back, they didn't invest in the club, but they didn't you know, give him funds for a signing for over a season. But, you know, For a full season, we didn't buy anyone. So that was a problem itself. And then what you've got is a team that's aging and like not a feel-good factor and he's left. But you still got attacking players at that club and you bring in the player, a manager like Mourinho, who I wanted at the time because I thought he'd be the one to win the trophy. But his style of play didn't suit Spurs. And since then, we've tried to adjust to a different style of play buying, buying players. That, so we've got a bit of a an issue of what was left over by Poch and what has come in from Mourinho and Nuno to create a team that is either nor not attacking, not defending, but you know not great either. We have our time, our moments up front, but we're finding this season we're still struggling even under Conte to get a shot on target. But then we're really leaky at the back, so we're we're in no man's land at the moment as a as a team on the pitch. So that's why I'm hoping that. If he's backed correctly, Conte can instill a identity with us again because I think we've lacked that in the last season, the half two seasons, as a, either attacking or a defensive team. It's a, like it's a bit hit and miss, mesh with two or three different managers' ideas behind it, and that's why I think you're finding us struggling um, or have been struggling the last season and a half. Um, but hopefully, Conte comes in, gets his identity into the team, and like it's a spine going through that team that will help us get back to winning ways with a you know footballing philosophy of how we identify on the pitch. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jacob, um, what was your thoughts on the the Poch error and then Poch being sacked? Yeah, we are we are we are definitely struggling from that instance. But I think in in the main, the reason why Tottenham as a club struggle is because you know in every business you look at, it starts from the top. And for me, ever since Levy's coming, he's never really had a plan. You know, towards the latter years, if you look at Poch, for instance. There's no way Daniel Levy thought that Poch was going to do what he did. He would have brought him in and looked at him and thought he would be a stable coach because he did great at Southampton. But, you know, I don't think too many people thought that... The people thought that he would do well, but never, no one ever thought he would do that well, you know, take us to Champions League final and all that stuff. But I think it stems from the top. Le- Levy's never had a plan. And the reason why I say that is not because he sacked Poch. It's like, you look at it in, in its entirety... You never really knew what the identity was. You know, when we brought Poch in, there was this project. And, you know, I ain't going to lie, Alan would probably vouch for me as well. We believed in that project. Everything was brilliant for, you know, a good four or five years. But then you get rid of Pochettino and, you know, whichever way you look at it, we were 14th in the league and it wasn't looking great. But then you go and bring in somebody that's the complete opposite of Pochettino. Granted, he's a winner, but he does not win the way Pochettino does. So what was the point of the project? And then, you know, you get rid of Mourinho literally days before we're about to play a final, which effectively, that's what we brought Mourinho in for, to win things, you know. Tottenham fans are going to sit there and say, we want to win the league, we want the Champions League, we want to, but in an ideal world, the League Cup, bring that in, we have a good day out. But then you sacked arguably one of the most winning coaches ever six days before and put in somebody that realistically without an injury could have still been playing for Mourinho. You know, he was coaching people that he's playing with and then we wonder why we lost that. And then you get rid of Mason, you're like, all right, cool. And then you just look at the managerial list that we had. So like Alan alluded to earlier, it was, there was Conte, there was Nagelsmann, you know, there was all these people that you thought there's winners and they've got a style of football. But then Fonseca was literally through the door and the reason was we wanted to bring it back to the Tottenham way of playing football, which is attacking football, regardless of whether we win it or not, the fans need to be pleased. You don't bring Fonseca in and then we're like, all right, cool, where's the next attacking coach that's going to bring the Tottenham way? You just bring in a coach that's literally learned everything from Mourinho but hasn't won anything. So it's effectively looking to me that you've never got a plan you don't really care about what goes on the grass. You just want to bring in somebody in that the fans will, you know, in the Spurs fan base for me, I don't think there's enough realistic fans, you know. There's people like me and Alan that are real. So it's like Nuno comes in, we'll be like, that ain't going to work. But then there'll be people singing Nuno's name because we've won three games and we haven't deserved to win them. It's like, you just knew it wasn't going to work. And then when it doesn't work, they're all complaining. But it's like, how did you not see that in the first place? Yeah, long term, you've kind of got to be a realist and like, what it, the prospect yeah. would be. Yeah, I mean, um, myself and Ant um, are like best friends and, you know, we go back and forth and we have debates about like general general football stuff. And one of the debates that we did have a long, long time ago was about Poch and whether or not he, you know, he still had it or maybe his time had went stale at Spurs. I mean, Ant, I want to go back to that. I want to, again, get your neutral point of view in regards to that. When we had that discussion and that debate, what was your thoughts on Poch at the time? I, th- I think I can remember what I said. I said that's the most stupidest sacking I've ever know- I've ever heard of in my life. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. 
you know, I, I understand like Spurs were 14th in the league, yeah, and but teams go through bad patches, don't they? You know what I mean? But obviously, Bali elite, you know, City and Liverpool. We even look at like even look at City a couple of weeks ago. City lost like twice in a week. You know, so, so what they're gonna do? Sack Guardiola? It, it, it was it was mental, you know. Yeah. And and for me, long term. It sets Spurs back probably about five, six years, you know, because like he's, we're getting onto the, the cusp of challenging for the league, and and and, and to be, to be fair, to a, to a degree, you were challenging at a point. We obviously when Leicester won, it Spurs were setting in the league, mm. you know. So you know, you've got to if they were going to sack him, and, and you know, listen, when when they did sack him, you can understand to a degree why it was done, but then replace him with. A manager who's in, who who is who is in the same philosophy of attacking football, you know, it's entertaining football. They bring Mourinho in, and and I think Jake, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Like Daniel Levy's never had a plan because I think he just looked at oh Mourinho's done well for you know for Man United, he done well for Chelsea. They say he's he's a winner, and it didn't work, you know. And then they sacked him what, a week before the uh, a week before a cup final, and never had a plan. You know, it was it. We just oh, we'll listen to the fans. We'll we'll sack them or whatever. But didn't have a plan in. So you know, fair play to Ryan Mason for taking that job on because it was probably an impossible task to to eat to win the cup. Um, you know, with about four days training and then and then to like you know kind of stabilize well, well to stabilize the side. He didn't do a bad job, I don't think. And then obviously Nuno comes in completely the same as Mourinho, and it's like so where Tottenham at now after you know where Tottenham at now. After Pochettino and Pochettino's been gone, what three years now? And and where uh, Tottenham any better? No. So uh, I just I just think it was silly. I, and and can you imagine now where Spurs would be with Poch? I, I think they'd be still up there challenging. And I'm fair, fairly sure Harry Kane would be an awful lot happier. Yeah. For for me, if you let's talk about Daniel Levy. If Daniel Levy was overseeing Daniel Levy's job at Spurs, Daniel Levy would have sacked himself years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's be honest. So, so I don't understand. With all the managerial changes and the stuff like that and all that, Daniel Levy should have been gone years ago, but he's still there at the club. That's a different subject altogether. He's he's one of the main issues at that uh, our club um, until obviously he changes his way, which I don't think he will. I don't see us getting over that hump of winning a trophy in his tenureship with Enoch and Joe Lewis. We've won one trophy in 20 years. That's not good enough. Not good enough. And the thing is, though, even with Potts, you look at it and think that he got sacked when he was 14, you know, and it was like, we as Spurs fans, we weren't calling for Potts to be sacked because Potts wasn't doing a good job and we didn't believe in him. You just knew that something had to be changed and it wasn't going to be Daniel Levy. Daniel Levy weren't going to go, oh, Poch is 14, I'm just going to step down and give this to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So something had to give, you know. So I never wanted Poch to go. He was 14, but like um, Ant alluded to, it's like you look at Oli, for instance. Oli's, I'm not saying he's a great manager, but he's been down in the dumps before where he's been 7th or 8th and everybody's called him for his head and then he's got to the point where Man United have given him enough time and he's qualified for the Champions League, you know. He's He's got to the Europa League final. You know, Man United fans, I, I do feel for them because they're used to Fergie, but they need to understand that, you know, with the with what's going on, it takes a long time, especially when you've got people like um, Guardiola and Pep and, um, Pep and Klopp around. But effectively, the only way Tottenham move forward is... If Daniel Levy kind of says, you know what, I've got it wrong for the last 20 years, here's all the money content, do what you need to do, 
But if he stays the same way, it doesn't matter, mate. We could bring Pep in and he still won't win anything. I mean, I hate to allude to, you know, the, the rivals up the road, lads, but look at what Arsenal have done with Arteta. I mean, he, and he struggled. You know, he struggled last season. He struggled early part of this season. And look at them now. They've given him a bit of time. They've let him, you know, build his philosophy, build the way he wants to play. Then, then him bring, you know, a couple of young ones in, like, like Smith Rowe and Saka, who are doing really, really well. And now they're in the top six. So you know, it, it takes time sometimes. And, and, and teams do go on blips. Like I say, you know, you've got you've got the top three at the, at the minute, and you know the top three are going to probably run away with it this year because they're very very good football sides. But everybody else in that league can beat each other, you know. Yeah. So you know, like yeah, you're going to lose a couple of the games, but it doesn't it doesn't make you a bad side overnight because you've had a blip, and it doesn't make you a bad manager overnight because you've lost three games off the spin or something. I just think at the minute, and it's happened very very slowly in in the game that. Patience is is very much uh, a, a used word in in football. You know, you don't get that time anymore. And I think it's a, I think it's a great shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, as Spurs fans, fellas, I mean, when myself and I had this conversation a long time ago about Poch, like I was saying to myself, like, like he's he's gone a little bit stale. Um, maybe like he might not be there. I mean, I never envisioned Poch to get sacked after you know getting a Champions League final. And being 14th in the league, granted, it's a results-driven business, but I never expected it to happen, even though myself and I had these conversations about it. But when Poch was sacked, like, what was both of your thoughts at that period in time? I mean, we were just like, what's going on there? Because like you say, you, you weren't calling for his head. Mm. We, As fans, we weren't. I mean, there was a lot of talk behind the scenes that the relationship between Poch and Daniel Levy had soured because Poch wouldn't leave the fact alone that he weren't allowed any signings and that had soured. So I think for Daniel Levy, once that had happened, you know, it was frosty behind the scenes. There was also talks that players were saying that if you weren't on with Poch, like, you know, it was hard to get in the team. So you take some of that with like a pinch of salt, but I think that was the reason mainly why it was Daniel Levy decided to sack Pochettino at that time uh, in regards to the, you know, got a bit sour between them two because of the no signings for a year but also Daniel Levy's always been a Mourinho fanboy so as soon as he got the chance to sign because it happened really quickly so I think as soon as he got the idea that he was getting Mourinho he jumped at the chance and he pulled the trigger too soon us as fans yeah we dipped in form but it weren't like we were saying Poch you know has to go He he's he's taken us backwards you know it was a bit of a tough time but you expect that from now every now and again with a team but I think it was mainly the the fact that it, it, it soured the relationship between the two. And uh, Daniel Levy was like, I can get Mourinho, who I've always wanted at Spurs. I think that was what tipped it over the edge to to get rid of Pochettino at that time. What about yourself, Jacob? How, how were you feeling about it? Yeah, it was just in a weird way. You could you could you, you could you used to think that you know Pochettino could work magic, and he was working magic. That's why we had the song about him. In regards to magic, but um, you know, if you're if you're a seasoned Spurs fan, when you look at everything that was going on, you kind of thought, well, if he don't make this work, he's going to go. You know, it got to the point where we were only supposed to be at Wembley for a, a short period of time. That got extended because something happened with the stadium. So, you know, obviously Pochettino had to work for an extra year at Wembley, which wasn't anticipated. And then when we were bringing in signings, it was like, you know, Poch made it pretty evident to the whole world of football that the team needed refreshing 
Um, there was players that he wanted to see out through longevity that needed deals signing, and then that didn't happen. You know, there was pictures of him going out for meals with Ericsson and Alderweireld and Vertonghen on a on a singular basis, and that's pretty evident that you know if you're going out for a meal with single players, it's to talk about future projects. And then obviously you boys are going back home, and Daniel Levy's not getting it signed. And then obviously it's now getting to the point where Ericsson isn't playing well because it's, there's no contract signed. And then Vertonghen's booing and are in. There's so many players we're looking at thinking no one signed up. So, and then, you know, we're bringing people like Ndombele and Lacelso, who at first we're thinking these are players that Poch wanted, but then Poch doesn't play them for the first three or four games. So it's pretty obvious that he didn't want them. And then when the press are asking Poch, why are these players not playing? They don't fit the Tottenham mould yet. I don't think, you know, Daniel Levy would have given Poch a hundred million for him to go and buy players that ain't ready yet. So it's pretty obvious that those players weren't wanted by Poch. But Daniel Levy went and spent the money because he's never really trusted a manager with that amount of money. And you know, even when he's given him a hundred million, apparently, we're still stuck with Lorente. Figure out whether we should re-sign him again when it's like, well, there's other strikers out there that would probably. Be happy to play out front with Harry Kane or play second fiddle, but we're still stuck with Lorente, who doesn't fit the mould of Poch. So when you look at all those things, if you're somebody that's proactive in terms of your focus on your club and you see those things happening, you just think, well, if the manager don't get it right, there's only one winner here. Yeah, I know what you're saying, definitely. Um, and obviously since then, the, the club has went through a couple of managers um, and kind of not like really achieved what Poch did achieve. I mean, Daniel mm. Levy, we've talked about him there. Um, do you think he is like the massive factor as to why Spurs aren't really reaching their potential? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, for me, Daniel Levy is one of the main problems. He's always liked to get involved in, in regards to signings and stuff like that. Um, off the pitch, he does good things. I mean, we've developed into a really good um, business off the pitch with the stadium, the training facilities, all the extras that our stadium's doing, the the um, like the, the uh, building development plan, all that's going on around that. Everything off the pitch, to a certain extent, has, has done well. It, we've, there's been problems with delays and naming rights and stuff like that for the stadium. So he's not been completely successful off the pitch. But when it comes to on the pitch... Like I said, we've delivered one trophy in in under Enoch, where Daniel Levy's been there, and under Joe Lewis, we've delivered one trophy in twenty years. We're trying to claim ourselves as a big team, or, or say we're which we're rightful challenging like for trophies, and we're, we're one of the biggest clubs in the league. But all the teams above us, even I mean, in the twenty years since Enoch and Daniel Levy have been in charge of us, teams like Birmingham, Wigan have the same amount of cups as as we do, Portsmouth. You know, Leicester in recent years have won two and we haven't. So, based on that, on the pitch, Daniel Levy, Enoch and I have failed us because, you know, no disrespect to them other clubs, but you're looking at Spurs as they are now and you think they should be winning more trophies to deliver one trophy in 20 years and have clubs of that elk on the same level, like winning the same amount of trophies as us in that 20 years. You would have to say it's a massive failure. And I go back to the same thing. Daniel Levy was judging his own, his own you know, Position he would have he would have sacked himself years ago. So it, for me, off the pitch, yeah, it's it's been somewhat of a success. On the pitch, it's been we've had you know I'll, I'll peak under Pochettino and the style of football and getting close, but 
in general, on the pitch under their tenureship, it's been a failure. What about yourself, Jacob? Yeah, it's it's just, it's it's been a calamity under Daniel Levy. I just think, um, like you know, I've for the last God knows how long I've been saying that we can't really cast ourselves as a top six club. I understand that historically we probably are, you know, because if you look at all the trophies, no matter what silverware you look at, if you look at if there was, if you were to put a table together, I think the last time I checked it, we somehow. We've won as many trophies as Man City. So historically, I get why they call that as the top six. But in the last 10 years, we can't, we can just about call ourselves top 10 because we've, we haven't won anything in the last 10 years where you've got Leicester and all these clubs that have won, won stuff. And like I said, it's all down to a lack of planning. Um, you know, Leicester, we'd like, you'd like to think that Leicester never planned to win the league. You know, everybody knows that. I'm sure even the Leicester owners would tell you that. But then because they won the league, you could tell there was a plan in place to at least keep themselves relevant and win more trophies. And then that's what they went and done. You know, they, they won the FA Cup, deserved to win that. They've, you know, there's, there's times where they've just slipped out of the top four, but, you know, they've effectively done over the last five years what Tottenham have aspired to do without spending nowhere as much money and sacking as many managers. You know, when Leicester do things... They do things properly. Like when they bring in Brendan Rodgers, it's the right time. When they bring in a Craig Shakespeare to steady the ship, it's the right time. When they sack Ranieri, they're ruthless at the right time. When they bring in all these players that, you know, people might have heard of or could have got, we're always looking at Leicester and think, how have they got them? But we haven't got them. So, you know, look at Leicester, for instance. I think they're below us in the league. But as a Spurs fan, I could probably think of about five probably five players that they've got in their lineup that I'd happily stick in Spurs right now. You know, you've got Tielemans, you've got um, Ndidi, you've got um, Soyuncu, arguably the keeper. You know, they've, they've got they've got some really good players there. And, you know, if Conte went to Leicester, I think overall, he'd probably look at their squad and think I'm a bit more happier than what I've got at Spurs. He'd probably have to spend a lot less money at Leicester than he would at ours. So I just think Daniel Levy, the only way he could ever succeed is by coming out of a plan from now. So the only plan right now is to have Conte, who's arguably, not even arguably, he's probably, he's definitely top four coach in Europe, give him everything that he wants and leave him to it, which is what he's never done in the 20 years. You know, Harry Redknapp asked for certain players. You ended up giving us Ryan Nelson and an injured Louis Zaha. I touched on um, Poch probably not wanting Endembele and Lo and then Mourinho, you bring in a coach that needs three hundred million pounds to win things, whether you like the football or not, and you give him nothing. So, what do you expect? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we mentioned here about if Daniel Levy looked in the mirror, he'd sack himself. Moving on, Nuno got sacked. New era, Conte, fellas. What's your thoughts on the Conte uh, appointment? Do you think he's the right guy? Um, where do you see your team going under his under his leadership? Do you want to take this first, Jacob, or should I? You can take it first if you want, mate. <laughs> yeah, go for it. So for me, um, he, I believe him to be the correct manager. A little bit delayed. He should have come in in the summer. So yeah. he should have come in, had a full preseason, get across his ideas. You know, probably at that point, if you were to appoint him, then. 
it may have calmed Harry Kane down from the start of the season rather than have it continued because even against Everton, he wasn't that good. Um, Kane, you might have steadied the ship a bit quicker, um, but then you would have had the full pre-season to, to move on. So um, Conte will get, because this Spurs team was renowned for Poch like, as, a, as a running team, given everything for, for that. And Conte will bring that back under Mourinho Nuno. That has slipped way down. I think he'll get them... You know, he's he's already said it to him. If you give me everything on that pitch, I'll always be I'll be here for all of you. So basically, I've seen it in since coming that the players will run for him. They will give everything for him. So Conte is a winner. You give him what he wants, he can develop a team and have his philosophy. And if they buy into him, he can win trophies. I believe he should have come in the summer, um, but we've got him a little bit later. So uh, I think you'll see a slight improvement like game on game until he gets to January and then when you can bring in his players I still don't think it'll be a scintillating top four and tro- trophy I think you may get one or the other because it's not that far off the top four but because he's got to bring in the players he wants and obviously mould the team as he's going along this season I think next season is where you'll see the benefit of that with he the players he wants in with the philosophy he wants to play um, so it's going to be a slow process the rest of this season. You know, I would take a trophy um, as as a, a really good season considering where we were under Nuno, or I would take top four as uh, as a success considering where we were. I don't think we'll get both, but if I had to go for either, um, I would go for the trophy because as Spurs fans, we're starved for for trophies. But I think he's the right manager at the uh, at this time to get you know that work ethic back into the team and he's not afraid to make big decisions and I think if Harry Kane continues to to not hit the ground running I think Conte will drop him I honestly believe he will whereas Nuno wouldn't because I think he was scared uh, was scared of dropping such a big name player I think Conte will do that yeah I'm in agreement with that I think Conte is a very very intense manager and you know he's not going to take any crap from anyone um, what about yourself Jacob what's your thoughts on the Conte appointment yeah, I was, I was delighted with the appointment. It's just, you know, when you get to the point where I'm sat there at work and everybody's telling me, oh, Conte this, Conte that, I was, I was delighted with the man coming in. But with every managerial appointment, I just worry about leaving because, you know, when we brought Mourinho in, for instance, I was proper sad that Poch went, but I kind of thought, right, you know, if Mourinho comes in, we all know that Mourinho comes in, demands money, when he gets the right amount of money and the right financial backing and is left to do what he wants... No matter how ugly the football is, Mourinho brings trophies. So, you know, Man United fans were, you know, cussing Mourinho because, you know, he he was toxic. But effectively, he included a charity shield and bought them three pieces of silverware. Since then, they haven't won anything. And, you know, I speak to a lot of Man United fans. They're like, as much as I hated the football, I'd take Mourinho back right now. So, it's the, the, the reason why I'm a bit sceptical is because you bring Conte in. I feel that Daniel Levy makes appointments, so then Tottenham fans will be like, oh, yes, we've got this manager. And pretty much, it, it just doesn't feel like he's going to give him all the money. If, you know what I mean, I can't see how Daniel Levy has probably made so much money from us as a Spurs fan base. But then now he's willing to just go into his own pocket and give up, effectively give us that money back. You know, so imagine if he's made... You know, imagine if he sat there comfortably sitting on 300 million. He's literally, and that's because he's rinsed us as fans and not give us what we want. He's pretty much got to give us that back. 
which I just can't see him doing. So I think he'll be given a lot of resource and a lot of funding. But I think in the, with this team that we've got, for Conte to say, right, I'm going to go and challenge um, Pep and Klopp, you know, in two windows, you probably need to give him about 300 million and say to him, who who do you want to keep and who do you want to get rid of? You know, like Alan alluded to, if Harry Kane isn't doing the business, I think Conte will go, right, I'll get rid of you and go and bring in someone from Italy that I know will score goals, you know. But um, like I said, I, I, just, I just play it by ear. You know, I'm not very confident Levy's going to get to the point. But the good thing is, is that Levy should be savvy enough to know if you don't give this guy what he wants, he'll just walk tomorrow. Uh, so, that's definitely uh, in, in hindsight, that's what gives me a bit more confidence. If you don't get the money and, you know, Conte walks tomorrow, we all know that Levy's just been an idiot again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, neutral perspective again, and um, Conte, do we think he was really holding out for the United job, but the, the Spurs-United game maybe kind of tipped that towards Nuno getting the sack rather than Ole in? Do you think he, do you think he took the job? as a stopgap and then long-term Man United may be his destination or do you think he's in it for the long haul or as long of a haul as Conte can do given his style and his intensity? I mean, I, t- I tell you what, it'll, it'll not be boring, will it? You know, <laughs> um, I, I don't think, I don't think he's, he's took this, I don't think he's seen this as a, as a, you know, like sloppy seconds to Man United or anything like that. You know, I, I think, I think it's a great appointment had it not been, you know, Levy in charge, you know, because I just don't think it'll... I think it'll come down to the fact that the will fall out, you know, because, I mean, Conte is... He doesn't take no shit, does he? He takes absolutely none. I mean, he walked away from Chelsea. He had Chelsea, you know, at a, you know he'd won the league with Chelsea and the season before. Um, and I just... I wonder if... I know the, these assurances were given to him, but are they going to follow through with those assurances? And, you know, because if, if it doesn't, he is going to walk. I think the, the point made about Harry Kane is a brilliant point. And, and I do actually want to ask this question, guys, because I personally think Tottenham should have let Harry Kane go in the summer because mm. his mind was made up. He, he he said in April he wanted to leave. Now, why why are you keeping a guy on? You know, I know he's, he's the top scorer. He's, he's you know, he's the talisman and everything like that. He's the captain. You know, he's one of our own song gets sang and everything like that. But... Why would you want to keep an unhappy player? And it's kind of gone into this season. I think I think the hangover from all that is still like, you know, it's still that big cloud, isn't it? That, you know, what's going to happen in January? Is he going to leave in January? And it, it, it's really detrimental on the other players, isn't it? Because for me, I think Son is a better all-round player than Harry Kane. So, you know, why why focus on Kane and, and you know, give Son that talismanic um, kind of presence, really? Um, so, for me, I said all, all summer long, he was going Man City. I was adamant that they were going to come in with the right offer. Daniel yeah. Levy was going to let him go. Um, he'd, he'd said he wanted to go. So as myself and I think so many other Spurs fans, you know, when it looked like he was going, thanks for everything you've done. You know, you, you've tried done like given us uh, eight seasons, seven, eight seasons, nine seasons. You know, you've given everything for this club. You like this club, but it just couldn't get you a trophy. You want to win trophies. No hard feelings. You know. You wish all the, uh, wish all the best. That's what my take was here. And then uh, Man City offered 100 million, and then they were like, "Well, okay, it doesn't matter what you offer. We want 150 million. You know, that's how much he's valued. That's how much we see him as a value to our club. He, we want 150 million. I think Man City got to 120 million. Um, personally, I would have taken that. 
but um, Daniel Levy wouldn't have that. So I think Alex Ferguson said it best. Um, doing business with Daniel Levy is uh, is more painful than hip replacement surgery. That's what uh, Alex Ferguson <laughs> said, and you could you can completely see that. So we are now stuck with a player who doesn't want to be there. So recently, apparently, he said he's a he's Harry Kane said this that he loves the appointment of Conte. You know, he sees that the club are wanting to go in the right direction. So it looks like he may stay now. For me, that Everton performance still says that something's not completely 100% right. You know, so for me, I would, if I had the chance and the right team came in with the right money in January, I'd get rid of Harry Kane and I would build for the future. So Vlahovic from Fiorentina looks like a player we're interested in. So he can finish with both left and right foot and header. He, he, He's, for me, obviously back, he's a similar version of Harry Kane when he was that age. And I think he's got the raw talent to be a very good striker. Um, so I would go with uh, in a new direction. Son, for me, can't play that number nine role. He's, or, uh, he's best, you know, playing in the left left or right channel, whichever one it is, and mm. cutting in. I think he needs a player to be able to bring him into play. I don't think, because when Harry Kane got injured on Mourinho, Son couldn't do the number nine role when he went missing a couple of games that he was because we wouldn't play Vinicius because we just he wasn't capable in the league. So uh, Son, I think you take away from him if you try and play him that number nine role. So I would get rid of Kane in January. And it's not saying that he's a bad player, he, although his form's dipped. If he was to stay um, under, if he was to stay under Conte because we've got Conte in now. You know, and he was to go on and score 15, 20 goals. I would, I would, you know, you'd forgive because obviously he he's staying and he wants to play with the team, but you'd never forget the first 10, 11 games. And for me, I feel bad for Nuno for this aspect that it was pretty much the cane down tools for Nuno that looks like he wants to play for Conte. So for me, that's you know, I feel bad for Nuno because it was like disrespecting Nuno under the in because he didn't see Nuno as that type of manager would, would you know, elevate him. So I, I think, for me, you know, it's very disrespectful to Nuno in that aspect. But I, if the chance came uh, for Daniel Levy, you know, he's got to cut your losses. The player doesn't want to be there. He wants to move on with trophies, pull the trigger and get the job done. Yeah, I mean, with Harry Kane, I mean, I do want to touch on uh, to a lot of the players for Spurs, to be fair, and just like talk about a potential rebuild. But I want to talk about Dean Scarlett. Do, do you think he's got the ability long term to step up and be the next Harry Kane? Or even Troy Parrott, for that matter? Uh, We've probably touched on this on the, on the show that me and Alan on before. I, I think... It's, it's difficult for players like that because realistically you need a coach that's willing to do that. I, th- I think personally that if Poch was there for another three years, someone like Troy Parrott, if he wasn't going to make it at Spurs, probably would have been a team like the Palace and the Villas that we were talking about earlier. I think that he would have established himself, probably scored a few goals for Spurs and the Premier League team that took the chance to him because he was one of the most promising Youngsters, we had as soon as Mourinho come in, all of a sudden he's going to you know Millwall and all these weird places that I don't think he deserved based on how he was progressing. So I think Dane Scarlett, nobody knows because you know nobody knew who Marcus Rashford was. He turns up in a Europa League game when they're struggling for strikers, scores a goal, plays against Arsenal, scores two goals, and that's that's his career set up. So with Dane Scarlett, 
I just don't think he'll get those opportunities like a Rashford or a Harry Kane did. You know, these guys got their opportunities from coaches that believed in young players and gave them the platform to at least have a go. And then they took their chance. Whereas we're playing in the Conference Cup with managers that aren't really going to get the best out of Dane Scarlett. You know, from what I see, he's got raw pace. He scores a lot of goals in in the age range that he's in. And that's always going to be quick football. You know, there's no one going to be playing pragmatic football in an under-18s game. So I think when he plays for a Nuno and he gets minutes under Mourinho and he's been told to play in a pragmatic manner along with the rest of the players, he's literally got to be a 17, 18-year-old understanding that you get one chance and you've got to take it. And when you're 17, that's very difficult. So if, if they were under a coach that was willing to install in youth, then I would say yes. But currently, Tottenham and the way that Daniel Levy's failed, I don't think he would bring in a coach like another Poch, let's say, to allow those players to grow. Because at the minute, it's press, it's the, the pressure cooker's on with the fans and with the ownership to succeed. And you're not going to allow kids to be part of that unless they're an exceptional kid like Wayne Rooney was which is very rare so Dane Scarlett's got a bit uh, got ability he he reminds me of like a Jermaine Defoe type he he's very quick pace and he can finish um what I didn't like is under Nuno is that he would get his chance in a Europa League game but it would be a lone striker and for a 17 year old in Europe as a lone striker with not the support player or playing with the players that can create for you you're pretty much you know, you're not giving, you're asking him to do a job and not giving him the tools to support him for a young lad. And for me, that was not right. I think there's a player there in Dane Scarlett that needs the right manager to mm-hmm. unlock that ability, um, which you still can do it because he's only 17. But it's just having that right person that can do that. Conte, I believe, can, you know, help young players get develop into great players but where it depend i think it's if conte sees it then he'll invest time if he doesn't then he won't so i i know dane scarlet play uh trains with the first thing but it's the difference between the the training and the uh and the playing of games so it's too early for him i don't think troy parrott's at that level i don't think he's gonna he, he will come back and have a, you know be a success at tottenham i think he's best away but dane scarlet's got uh, time on his side yeah, I mean, definitely from from the neutral perspective, in my opinion, um, I would be looking personally at Dean Scarlett to stand out more than a Troy Parrott because I think when you when I like looking at like the youth system and Alfie Devine's another one. Um, I've seen him play a couple of times in the under nineteen team, and I think he's got bags of ability, but will he get a chance in a Spurs team under a Conte or under a different manager for that matter? That remains to be seen. He may have to move on to, to realise his potential. Um, but in regards to your current team, I mean, which players in that team, guys, would you be would you be building the team around right now? Um, so who I would build that team around, I think you've got... For me, we've got a decent keeper. I don't think Galini's good enough to be there. So uh, at this moment in time, Loris, then you've got Romero, Regulon, um, Skip for the future. You've got um, Son, who wants to be there. I think Mora, you know, he gives a lot on the pitch. So I think, and the, uh, you know, he's got ability 
and well that would be where I'd base that team around the moment because Kane is still like there's questions but the easier question would have been who would you get rid of because I could have really, <laughs> I, 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 I list the names in, in a heartbeat so for me San, Sanchez can go Dyer can go the Celso can go Deli Alley can go Winks can go um, Bergwijn can go you know they're, they're just a list of players off the bat that I would get rid of so yeah that I would base the team around the people who I'd say oh, well, Matt Doherty can go you know I would I, I wouldn't hesitate to pull the trigger on any of them at the moment because I just don't think they're good enough I don't think they're at the standard where we want to be as a team in my opinion What about yourself Jacob? Yeah it's a bit it's a bit similar to what Alan said you know it's like for instance, the other day I was speaking to my cousin about the new football manager coming out. And I was like, I can't wait to start with Tottenham. And he's like, why is that? I said, because if Daniel Levy gives me a crap budget, I'm going to sell so many players that I'll have loads of money. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's just like, you know, like when you ask the question, who would I base it around at the minute? I, there's not many players in the starting eleven that I trust. You know, when, I put, when we put the eleven up against Everton at the weekend, I didn't, you know... I didn't look at him and thought, oh, you know what, man, I reckon he's going to have a good game. There's players that you can trust. You know, you can trust Hoiberg, but I think he's been overplayed. I can't remember the last game we missed with Hoiberg because I've always said that if he gets injured, who's going to be our defensive midfielder? I know Oli Skip's had a good game, but he, I think he relies on Hoiberg being there. So I don't think you want him to play CDM along with Deli Ali or Ndombele because they'll just sell him down the river. Um, you've got a back four, back five, whatever Conte wants to play. And I looked at I looked at all of them and thought, I don't really trust on the other. Romero will be a good player, but in a minute he's looking a bit reckless, keeps getting booked and trying to start up fights when we're trying to win games. Um, Emerson Royal looks okay, but that's as far as it goes. And then, you know, we've, we've still got players like Ben Davis. Like I was calling for Ben Davis to be sold like four years ago and somehow he's still here. You know, it's... Uh, it's one of those where if I was going to build a team around anybody, it'd be around Son, but even he's been on bad form recently. So, you know, I think there's a mass, there's a, for me, there's a bigger job than most people expect. I think people thought that Conte was going to come in and his presence and his antics alone was going to just, you know, we're just going to beat Vitesse 5 0 and then go to Goodison and sort them out. And then we're going to finish out the national break and we're going to just keep winning. I think. You know, if Conte, I doubt Conte thought that, but if he thought it, he knows it's a bigger job because you'd obviously want to base your team around Harry Kane, who's, you know, before this season was arguably the only, the only striker that could talk to Harry Kane and sound better than you was Lewandowski. But at the minute, there's quite a lot that can talk to Harry Kane because he's just not with it. So, again, it's a very difficult question to answer, but if I was going to answer it, you'd build it around Son. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously Son is an absolute key player, but one of the key players, uh, one of the players that you mentioned there was Hoiberg. And fellas, I want you, I want to have a discussion with you quickly about Hoiberg because me and Ant are in a little bit of disagreement over Hoiberg. I like him. You know, he's breaking up the play. He's got the second highest pass rate in, in the league. Um, I think he's got 89% pass ratio and 63% tackle ratio. He's my kind of player. I like a defensive midfielder who's going to break up the play. Um. What's your thoughts on Hoiberg in that team? So, um, I like Hoiberg. Um, when we first signed him, I was like, I don't understand why we're signing a player like this. Um, in the first 
season when he was with us, he done what he was there to do, break up play, do the really ugly jobs. Other people could do the creative job. Um, but the longer it's gone on, I don't know if it's because he's overplayed or he's been told to push further up the pitch. For me, he has got good passing, but for me, that's mainly um, like back-to-back or back-core, side-to-side and, you know, progressive play, but only short. But when you try long, long diagonal balls and stuff like that, like against Everton, we were always overhitting him. And I don't think he's as good in that aspect. Um, for me, he needs to stay He's at his best when he stays back and does the, the, the dirty job and just breaks up play. Not putting him on the same level as McAuley because he's he's McAuley's head and shoulders above. But I'm saying doing a job that you know the the, the job that's never faints. You know, just staying back, breaking up, and that's all you do. And McAuley was the best at it. But when he's doing that job, I think Hoiberg's at his best. But when he's asked to you know play further up the pitch and, and join in or, or stuff like that, I think that's where he goes missing. So he is overplayed as well. I agree with Jacob on that. Uh, he, I, I can't remember the last time he missed a game for us. So I think he needs, I think he's overplayed and that can have a detrimental effect on uh, you as a player as well. If you're like, because even in recent games, he's levels dips and I think it's because more for exhaustion than anything else. But um, I, if he does the job that we brought him in for, I think he's a great player. But when he's allowed to go further, I mean, in the North London derby, when he was allowed to go up and play with Deli Alley, we were exposed. He was out of position. You know, everything was awful about that. So he stays back and does his job and does what he's. Then, then he's going to be a good. Then he's going to be like. I think you can build a future around him as well. But it's just dependent on if he where he's asked to do a job. Yeah, definitely. I mean, fifteen million was a snip as well, especially in this yeah. economy for a holding player. And and like I touched on there, as far as like I go, like I love a good holding player. Like I like the Macaleleas, the uh, the Gilbert or Silvers, all them kind of players. Um, Jake, what about yourself? Yeah, I agree with you, Gary. You know that that position is where I play when I when I play eleven aside anyway. So that's the position that I love to play. And I, I like doing the dirty work and going to win tackles and all that stuff. So. I do. I do like Hoiberg. I think the reason. I think the reason why Spurs fans love him and probably overrate him to where he actually is is because he does a lot of things that you want as a player that makes people be blind to his actual ability. You know, I'm not saying he's, he's a bad player because he's a great player, but you know when he's clapping and then he's um, roaring the team on and he's got the headband on when he's bleeding. I think Spurs fans when they see that because we're starved of players that. I've got the right attitude. Just by them seeing that, they assume that this guy is, you know, Real Madrid and all these teams are after him. But when you look into the grand scheme of things, he's a great player for us. I do like him. But there's there's a handful of CDMs that he would be on the bench for. You know, you got look you look at Leicester, for instance, they're not doing great at the minute, but I'd like to think that Wilfred indeed is probably better than him. You got Kante, you got Rodri, you've got Fabinho, you know, these are players that Arguably, would say you know if I was in the same team as you, I'd take your place. So I do, I do like him. I think what what's happened with him is we as a club haven't helped him. I think he would be at the same level as those players if we had somebody that we could rely on to be his understudy. You know, there's times where we're playing in the Conference League and we play Harry, you know Harry Winks and Lascelles, let's say, but because we're getting exposed by some rubbish team. We have to bring Hoiberg in when it's 2-1 because that's the only player that we've got that can do that job and do it properly. 
So if he's coming into the Conference League, you know, we're having to put him on the bench because effectively he's the only player on our team that does that properly. But then when we're playing Premier League games, he has to play every game. Whereas if you look at all the other top clubs, they've got two, you know, Chelsea, the top of the league. And I don't know how many times Kante has either not played because they've missed him for the Champions League or he's been injured, but they're still top of the league. You've got Liverpool, you know, if Fabinho gets injured, they've got Henderson. Even Leicester, they've got um, a couple of positions, in that, a couple of players that can play in that position that cover when Ndidi's injured or there's times when Ndidi's had to go centre-half and they've still managed to get the cover for it. But we as Tottenham, you know, Alan can vouch for me on this. If Hoiberg, like Hoiberg's injured at the minute, so I think he's missing the international. Now, apparently he's going to be okay, but if he was to have a long term right now, Conte is one of the best managers in the world. I think he'd struggle because we haven't got anybody that would break up the play. We'd have Oli Skip that we'd rely on, but he'd have to play alongside Undembele, who, you know, he's our most expensive player, probably one of our most higher paid players, but he's probably as fit as me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, obviously, um, going to your opinion, and I mean, what is it that you're just not sold on about him? I don't get where, where where you've got this from. So I've never once said he was a bad player. I just said this season he's not been as effective as he was last season. That was the words that came out of my mouth. I, I never once said he's a bad player. I don't think he's a bad player. I do think I, I think Jacob's brought an absolutely fantastic point about him though. He's he's a very good at doing what he does, but don't ask him to do anything different. If you know what I mean by that, so you don't expect him to make them dart and runs upfield and score, you know, great goals from 25 yards. Because that's not his type of play. That's not his type of game. His game is to break up the play and start again. Now, I, I get this this stat, right? what was his stat? 89% pass passing, yeah. pass ratio, you know, right? How many of them are four passes percentage-wise? 20? He's there to break up the play, though. It doesn't matter if it's four or yeah, but, but But, yeah, so, so, so if that pass... So passing wise, how many of them are key passes? How many of them are assists? You know, I can pass the ball backwards for ninety minutes or sideways. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's that that that's what that's the, the kind of point was. He's not at the same level. I mean, to be fair, he's probably amongst a, a fair few, but he's not at the same level as where he was last year. Last year, he fit. He, I thought he fit very well in with the Mourinho type of um, Tottenham Hotspur. Now with Conte. Long term, do I see him in that side? Maybe not, and that's that's all I said about. It. I don't, I don't think he's a bad player. I just don't think he's a great player. I think he's a he's a good, honest footballer. I think Mourinho mm-hmm. trusted him a lot, and that's why he played pretty much every game. I personally do think he'll be in a Conte team, and I think he'll be alongside Brozovic personally. Mm-hmm. But that's just my opinion. Um, long long term, the way long term, a Tottenham going to give skip that trust. You know, long term. Uh, yeah, so that was the talk. Uh, that was the talk. Conte, literally, apparently, Conte has already highlighted Skip as his main guy in the, in the midfield. So, like, who he wants to build Tottenham around for the future. So, I would say long term, it looks like Skip would get a job, and maybe a Brozovic would come in and displace Hoiberg. That would be what I would agree with as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll, 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 so, sorry, you go yeah. first, Jake. I'm sorry. That's what, yeah, I'll, I'll probably agree because I did see them comments about Skip. It's just, it all depends. It's all a new regime. So, you know, Oli Skip's playing great at the minute, but all it takes is for Hoiberg to be rested and get his form back, which I think that's what it is. It's like, it gets to the point where Hoiberg just plays so many games and it's like, you know, obviously he's at a 
higher level than any of us. But we've all, you know, if, if any of you guys play football as well, it's like sometimes when I play football three times a week, mm. it just gets to the point where when, I'm, when I've got to play on Sunday, I'll go and play because I don't want to let the lads down, but I just can't be bothered. You know what I mean? Because it's not just about my body. It's about me mentally as well. It just gets to the point where I just think, oh, you know what? If if it snowed today, that'd be wicked. So imagine <laughs> being a player like that. It doesn't money doesn't come into it. If he if he feels that he needs to be rested mentally and physically, which I don't think Tottenham are allowing because he's the only guy that breaks up midfield with us. You know, Oli Skip does it, but I think he's learning from Hoiberg because when he was at um, Norwich, that he, he was the he was the midfielder spraying it around. You know, yeah. they were relying on him to do the Shabby Alonso thing. So I think he's learning that in his game. And we can't be trying to get to a Champions League spot and win trophies and saying, you know, if Hoiberg hurts himself, we're relying on his skip because that's a lot of pressure on somebody that's still learning the game. Yeah, I think you make up like a really good point there, Jake, with that, uh, as in, you know, if that clock, you know, I would say in, in, in that machine of, mm. of that uh, formation, his position is probably the most important. And he's probably the most important player in that in that clog at the moment in that machine. And if 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 you're asking that to do three ninety minutes a week, yeah, that, that's difficult. And and I do I do get the point in that, you know. Just for me, and like I say, I've only watched a couple of games, so I don't really want to like you know say I'm a I'm an expert on Spurs this season. But <laughs> going back to the Manchester United game, he was one of the ones who was walking about and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you look at that and you're thinking, well, that that's your main that's your main midfielder doing that. Whereas I thought Skip was doing a lot of his running, um, and that might have been that might have been tiredness. That might have been, you know, listen, we're all we're all human beings. We all have bad days at work, you know what I mean. But for that, I just thought, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe he's he's not come to the party this season. Maybe he was one of those ones who wanted Nuno out and everything like that. But you still gotta have when you put on that shirt, you still gotta have pride in, in that top and, and what I saw in that was 90 minutes of, of, of players just meandering and I thought it was I thought it was pretty embarrassing to be honest but fingers crossed that's the only time I'd have said that about a Spurs team this season because I mean to be honest it probably will be the last time because Conte will not stand for that you know it doesn't matter who you are and I think Alan you brought up that point before if yeah. it's Harry Kane if it's Holberg if it's Nolly Skip you know if it's a, a young lad off the bench if they don't put 100% effort in from the from the get-go they will not be playing again the next week exactly uh, I, I think you're right there. You are right there because it's like I, I think with Hoiberg it's a mixture of fatigue and it's like you know if you're playing, imagine you're playing football and you're always running your socks off and you're giving a hundred percent, but you're looking around and players just aren't doing it. It might get to the point where that affects you. So I think yeah. that Hoiberg's running around That's... trying to break up, trying to put all his all in, but then Harry Kane can't be bothered. You know, Son's like throwing his arms in the air. Ollie Skip's having a mare. The defenders, uh, you know, shipping goals. It's like. That might damage your mentality as well. We've all been there before where you're playing a football match and you just think to yourself, what's the point of me doing this? Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. I mean, the way the last few games had went, obviously under Nuno's tenure and stuff, it's it's understandable like the, the, with the effort and the work rate and stuff there. But fellas, um, we'll, we'll move on um, to basically what will the future hold for the rest of the season? Under Conti, I mean, where do you see yourselves finishing? So, for me, I mean, 
as a manager, if he if he gets what he wants in January, which I believe he has to this time, because if he doesn't, then Daniel Levy will finally expose himself as, you know, not not being at you know the type of person that wants the best for Spurs on the pitch and trophy wise, like trophy wise, or getting the best out of him. If he won't back the best manager we've had in our lifetime um, on paper, like with what they've won uh, in the peak of their power, so I believe that Daniel Levy will have to spend and give. Can't say what he wants. So with that, I would say either or trophy because Conference League is winnable. You know, Carabao Cup would be the next winnable trophy. Although we have got West Ham, which is going to be a tough game. You would either say one of them two trophies or fourth. That I think Conte, with starting the strongest lineup in Europe uh, in the Conference League, he's going to want to win a trophy just to get something on the board. So I think it'll be either or, but I think we can do one or the other, a trophy or top four. I'm not sure which one it would be, though, but for me, that would be a decent and decent main part of the season, considering how bad the start's been. What about yourself, Jacob? Um, yeah, you know, we're Spurs fans. We can't be greedy. We can't just sit there and say we want Champions League football and win a trophy because it's never happened. <laughs> so I'm not going to sit there and say get both. It'd be lovely to have both, you know. That, that's what you want, you know. I want I want Spurs to do everything, but you have to be realistic. So I think when it comes to qualifying for the Champions League, I think that's very important because Conte will want to go into the summer if we do promise him funds to be able to get all the players that he wants. And being in the Champions League with a manager like Conte, he can pretty much fight to get who he, who he wants but um fourth will be difficult you know it's, it's early doors because at the minute you know you've got west ham you've got arsenal who, who are doing okay you've got man united who you know if they sack ollie they'll probably get someone in that can do the job but you know if, if everybody was to, to stay with the managers they've got i think we should be saying to ourselves let's get champions league because we can't get any worse. And if you ask me, Arsenal and West Ham in a minute can't really get any better. Mm. So we've got some favourable fixtures. You know, we've got, I think we've got, we've got Leeds next, then Burnley, and then we've got Brentford, and then we've got Norwich, and then we've got Brighton. And I think the hardest one comes up, I think we've got, I think we've got Leicester and then Liverpool like um, a week before Christmas. So effectively, if Conte can use those favourable fixtures to get a or you know, run of wins. We've got a few conference games in between that. So if he puts a strong lineup in that, then we can build a good um, energy around the squad. You know, and if we get, you know, at the minute, if we were to play Liverpool, so there's no way we're going to win that. But if you build up some form, you know, West Ham beat them the other day. So if we can build up some form, lead up to the January transfer window, buy players that we need to, then there's nothing to stop us getting top four. And in terms of a cup, domestically, we all know that. There's magic in the FA Cup, so you could get knocked out by Conte stuff. We've done that before. Um, League Cup, we're in the Olympics, you know, got things going on next game in the semis. And the Conference Cup, I think, even though everybody classes it a joke cup, we shouldn't be a club that's not taking that seriously. So I think we could get both. It just depends on how we manage the Olympics got coming up and Conte wants to take it seriously because when you look at the conference cup the other thing you're worried about playing is Roma and that's only because Mourinho's there but realistically we shouldn't be afraid of them so let's just go and win the conference cup and 
quite frankly, we can win the Conference Cup and finish top four with a good run of games and the backing. And the neutral opinion, and. Well, yeah, a trophy's a trophy at the end of the day, isn't it? It doesn't matter if it's Conference Cup, you know, FA Cup, League Cup, you know, it's silverware, isn't it? And, and you know, any any team in the last eight of the League Cup can win it. And uh, I, 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 I probably won't include something in that because I think we'll get hammered off Arsenal. But, um, you know, that's winnable. The Conference Cup's certainly winnable. Um, you know, I don't see any team in there who will cause Spurs that much of a problem, you know. Um I don't think top four is manageable. I just, I just think there's there's better sides around. I, I can see uh, the likes of a West Ham sustaining it this season. You know, if they have a good January, you know, we'll bring in a couple of good players. Um, as much as I hate to say, David Moyes, he's he's doing a really really good job there. Um, but yeah, top six, maybe go for you know you wait for cup next season and then build. Give give Conte a very good summer. You know, sort the hurricane situation out. And you know, I, I do firmly believe Conte will have will have Spurs back. You know, as a top four pushing side, to be honest. Um, you know, give him trust in him because he's he's a bloody good manager. So you know, trust in him and give him what he wants and don't interfere. You know, in our businessmen, owners and businessmen, you know, stick to what you're good at: business, not football. Let let the football people do the football. <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, we'll we'll finish it off, fellas. We'll finish it off on Ant's favourite segment of the week, which is baller and ball ache. So baller, just you know, someone who stood out for you this week, and ball ache, just some someone that stood out for you in completely the 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 wrong way, uh, as Ant would say, going from the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> who are we starting with? Uh, we'll start with Jacob. <laughs> All right, uh, as baller, I would go with... Oh, that's a good one. Baller, I'd go with um, Jao Cancelo. Um, I watched him against Man United and I was thinking, you know, I, I've always... Because I'm a left-footed player and I've always thought that if you're left-footed, you stay on one side and right-footed the other side. But he plays on the left of a, of a back four and he just made Man United look stupid. Like, he was literally dictating play from... Um, left back when he's effectively a right back so he would be my vote for Baller um, Ball Lake I've got an 11 if you want <laughs> you know I mean <laughs> if, if I say Ball Lake what was causing me not so much stress but it just annoys me that as much as I hate to say you've got Arsenal and West Ham who in terms of London are our rivals playing football that is a lot better than what we're doing and we we should we are set up to arguably be the second best team in London after Chelsea but we're just pants at the moment so I'll say my ball like it's not so much the fact that they're playing well we're playing that badly that we're making them look great it despises me to see David Moyes doing well. And and listen, I mean, West Ham, West Ham on Sunday were bloody brilliant, weren't they? I mean, it was such a good game. It was a really, really good game. And I think on another deal, or Creswell probably gets sent off for that title on Henderson. But yeah, fair play, the best team won. And yeah, and and it's just it's just it just anyone but Moyes. You know what I mean? <laughs> You sound like a Man United fan. <laughs> uh, I'm a Sunderland fan, so... <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm a, uh... What about yourself, Alan? 
So for me, Baller would be Declan Rice. I think he God, absolutely he bossed that game. Um, what a player! You know, player. yeah. I, for for me, I was always doubting him, but this season, in other games, he's done it. But like against Liverpool, who we were the best, he controlled the game. And yeah, if it weren't for him, I think you know West Ham this season wouldn't be where they are. He's just gone to another level. So for me, he's Baller. Ball Lake, um, Jacob kind of took mine in regards to what he was saying. So. My ball lake would be Rafa Benitez for the silly comment that, you know, the uh, penalty decision got overturned. Um, (laughs) Laurie's got the ball, but like just before, but Rafa Benitez said if that happened anywhere else on the pitch, it'd be a free kick. When does a keeper use his hand anywhere else on it? On, so, so for, for me, that was a that was a silly comment. So for me, that's the ball like the way, you know that's just ridiculous. What about yourself, and? Um, can I, I don't know if we have a rule for this for for this, but can I be the same be the same person for both? Uh, yeah, go for it, mate. Go for it. Right. So my baller and ballick of the week is Daniel Farger for a getting your first win of the season. But also then Daniel Farga for getting sacked. You know yeah. what, mate? An hour after your first win of the season. You know what, mate? He was going to be mine as well for exactly the same reason. But um, I mean, I'll I'll have to go with now. I'm going to have to change it up. I'm going to go with um Joseph Martinez for Atlanta United for scoring an absolute world class goal against Cincinnati FC. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's absolutely brilliant goal. Uh, definitely check it out as if you, as if you haven't. But um. My ball is oh, in Sunday League football, Gary. Oh, uh, MLS, mate. MLS, but no, it was a, it was <laughs> a brilliant Sunday goal. League. Um, but my <laughs> ball ache, and this will this will make uh, Jacob and uh, Alan quite happy as well. Has to be the Everton fan who spent the entire game blasting the referee Stuart Atwell, who wasn't the referee. I don't know if you saw that. No, I didn't. No, I haven't seen that. Oh, it was on Match uh, of the Day know, too. Do you know why that was, Gary? Do you know why that that was? He was the um the VAR man. Oh, was he? Yeah, he was the one in Stockley Park giving the decisions or something or that. I remember reading that. Did you see the other one as well? The the, the Newcastle fan with the um the Brighton um champions scarf because you know I, I remember four years ago Brighton Pip Newcastle the. Newcastle, sorry, pipped Brighton to the, the championship when they both got promoted. Um, but can you imagine being, you know, that kind of fan when your team's, you know, bottom of the league at the time, taking the piss out of Brighton fan, but Brighton fans who were sixth in the table. <laughs> you know I mean? it's, it's a bit mental, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, mean, that, that's why that happened, mate. I think it's because Atwell was at Stockley Park. I think that was the whole the whole crap about that. Uh, it was but yeah, he got, he got the wrong referee, to be fair. Uh, you're, a, you're a cheat. Why don't you put on a white shirt, Atwell? You're a cheat. <laughs> and then uh, uh, on match of the day too, apparently the commentator took his headset off and went, it's not Atwell who's the referee. <laughs> told the fan that, but I thought that was quite funny when I saw it, and then uh, I was like quite amused by that. And I was like, ironic that we're doing a Tottenham uh, podcast. I thought I'd uh, definitely put that in as my ball ache. But um, anyway, <laughs> fellas, um, obviously it's ten past ten at night on Tuesday. Uh, really, really want to thank you for your time coming on talking about Tottenham. Really enjoyed it. Really like enjoyed having like nice chat, nice debate about it. Um, guarantee Ant is exactly the same as me uh, in regards to that and as always thank you for your time fellas thank you for your time as well yeah, yeah thanks geez. for having us that's for having us mate yeah thanks for inviting us that was good
Um, yeah, it's, it's been worth the week-long Twitter um, <laughs> trying to get everybody involved on it because we did have four four fans on Gary because obviously I don't know if you were privy to this but two pulled out today so um, I'm just glad that we've managed to get this sort this this one sorted out to be honest it's been it's been a great night I've thoroughly enjoyed it yeah me too me too fellas really enjoy just talking just generally talking to fans about football um i just noticed that we've gone an hour and a half doing this podcast when we said we'd probably do an hour so apologies <laughs> if we went over but fellas just thanks again for your time really appreciate it thank oh, you